I'm Jessica Mack. Welcome to What's Cooking with Jessica Mack, the podcast. What's Cooking is a podcast where we can learn from each other and we can connect. We all need real connection. Connection is so important for our physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Join me each week for uplifting conversations that will leave you feeling inspired, motivated, energized, and best of all, connected. Welcome back to What's Cooking with Jessica Mack, the podcast today. I am blessed to have Dr. Michael Hines as a guest. He's a public school superintendent for the Port Washington School District. He served as superintendent of schools for Port Washington, Patchogue Medford School District, and also Shelter Island School Districts. His former positions include assistant superintendent for curriculum, elementary and middle school principal, and an elementary teacher. I'm also want to give him a virtual high five being plant-based. I am as well. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Hines is also an associate professor at Long Island University and at Stony Brook University. He's proud to be a Fulbright specialist, a TEDx speaker, and he's the author of the best-selling book, Staying Grounded, 12 Principles (laughs) to Transform School Leader Effectiveness, and he's featured in the documentary Chasing Childhood. Welcome, Dr. Hines. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's a a real pleasure to be with you. Yeah, this is an impressive bio, and I follow you through uh, social media, so that's how I first learned about you because um, although now I'm a podcast creator and a content creator, I'm formerly an occupational therapist. I have my degree also in educational leadership. I was an administrative wannabe and then I got sick and my whole life was turned upside down. But I, I appreciate people who dedicate their lives to education. So I just wanted to talk with you. If you could just give us um, maybe a brief blurb on your background. How did you get involved in education? And, and then from there. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for allowing me to uh, use your tremendous platform to to share this story. Um, you know, if I went back to my 18-year-old self, this is the last place I thought I would ever be. Same. Uh, <laughs> working in schools because I was very disenfranchised student um, growing up. Uh, I loved elementary school. I started to really start head downhill in junior high back then when we had junior highs, and then high school. I graduated in the bottom 10% of my class. For me to be where I am, I think I, I have a different perspective as far as what the purpose of school is. Um, but it's been a very long, interesting journey, to say the least. I always knew I wanted to help people. I wasn't sure in what capacity. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, the bio just ran through the gamut. I love teaching. I've taught elementary school for a number of years. That's what my lifeblood is, for sure. Uh, those formidable years when, when kids are growing up and, you know, they're willing to take risks, all those beautiful things that we see. Um, and yeah, and then I just, um, where I am right now as a superintendent, I get to see things from 30,000 feet and hopefully make some good changes for kids. Yes. So the point that you made, I'm going to jot some notes as we talk, but when you, when you mentioned disenfranchised, it's interesting. I, so I had a similar trajectory, I'm going to turn this up, um, in that I loved school. I did very well in school, but the problem is I wasn't that invested. So I kept kind of veering off of these paths. And uh, my my math teacher, who I'm still friends with, Barry Davidson, completely saved my life. And I really mean that. I was really going down a wrong path. And he, I remember he took me aside and said, I want you to go away to college. I said, no way. Nobody went to college in my family. Nobody, you know, my parents loving. They're, they're probably two of the smartest people that I know. My dad graduated high school when he was 16. But to them, it was like, you know what, get a job, travel, do what you want. We don't care. You're on your own, you know. And and Mr. Davidson and and Miss Finelli saved my life. So I think about that a lot because I think if not for their intervention, where would I be? Uh, I sort of use that 
as a therapist for a while, working with the disenfranchised kids, getting them to be in different roles in the building. But the problem was there wasn't always enough buy-in because part of my theme of my podcast is also connection. So how do you connect with those students? And then how do you connect with people that are working with those students so they still feel heard and they don't feel like, oh, well, of course, you you know, they used to say to me, of course, they have fun with you. You just like walk around, you know, and smile and give them whatever they want. So how do you connect with the kids? And then how do you connect with the adults? No, it's a, it's a really great question. Um, one of the things I, I do uh, often is um, I have these superintendent roundtables where I meet with fifth graders, eighth graders and seniors. So while they're at the end of their journey at each respective level to ask three simple questions, what's working? Um, what's not working, and if you were superintendent, what would you do to change uh, your experience within within the school district? So you get a lot of great qualitative information. The second is when I meet with the staff, um, you know, it's very rare that school districts have a vision and mission that people actually understand. Right. So for me, it's about uh, creating a vision and mission and to align all the arrows moving in that direction, whatever it is. And then really defining what your North Star is, what your core values are, just right. one. And I try to emphasize as much as I can, you know, the teacher is incredibly important, but so is the, the custodian, so is the bus driver, so is security guard, and everybody touches the lives of kids. And they all need to be speaking the same language when it comes to the way we operate in a, in a daily way. And really what it comes down to, again, when I ask the purpose of school, by the way, if I ask 100 educators what the purpose of school is, I probably get 100 different answers. Yes. Oh, interesting in, point. Right. In many different places. What I'm trying to do in any school district that I'm working in is to have one clear, concise answer. And whatever that answer is, that's what we base our decisions on as we move forward, whether it's budgetary, whether it's curricular, in, in any way. So that's where it starts and I think it stops is having a North Star with the clients you're serving. And then also touching base um, with others. I, I also shadow other um, school district employees as far as what they do. So. Oh, I love that. That's really yeah. it. Yes, because that's what my parents always said to me. My dad's family's from England. So he would say, you treat the custodian the way you would treat the queen. Nobody's different. And it's so true. And then my mom was a clerk typist for a public school and then for BOCES. And she ran the, I mean, she, she really ran the building. And that's one thing I learned. Is that really, if you wanted to know what was going on, I would always talk to the, the clerk typist or the custodians because they really knew the buzz. So it's interesting. I'm happy to hear you saying that because that also goes along the lines of, of children, I think, and students that although it was a right match for me when my teachers and my guidance counselor said I should go off to college, that's not the right match for everybody. I look, think of some of my friends who have plumbing companies and electrical companies or culinary school, and they have the same level of fulfillment in life. But how do you connect also with kids who may be disenfranchised and really have no guidance? So you hit, you hit the nail right on the head, actually, is discussing and understanding that not every child needs to go to college in order to be successful. And so, you know, you hear the cliches of, you know, meeting children where they are. For me, it's fundamentally having children on their own uh, understand what their own talents are and what their potential is. And the only way you can do that is to create experiences within that 13 or 14 year journey, right? Talking from pre-K to, to being a senior. You know, I've seen seniors who are disenfranchised turn it around because we offered a CTE program, a career and technical education program 
that they loved, that they were able to get an accreditation for, and then actually get it certificated and then get a job. Wow, that, yes. That's, that's how you have to do it. And so, you know, the narrative, at least in America, for many years has been, you know, if your child does not go to college or if you do not go to college, you are less than, you're a loser, and you will not be successful in life. And that is not the case. So in a very high-performing district like I'm in right now, you know, on the Gold Coast of Long Island, you know, the expectation is many of our kids go to Ivy League schools. Turn that narrative around and say, listen, they can go to a trade and technical school and, and do have an incredible life and probably have a job before anybody else. Right, and less student loans, or if their parents don't pay for it. But That's I, right. well, and maybe even more job security. I look at even my parents, like I've mentioned, I've referenced off to college. He graduated when he was 16. It's very sweet. My parents are high school sweethearts. So he was waiting for my mom to graduate. So he kind of hung around. He went to Farmingdale College for a semester at 16, then said, This isn't for me. He had no guidance. We dropped out. Um, and then when he was 18, started working for ATT, but then got drafted to the Vietnam War. Um, and then Long story, he was able to retire at age 53, and then, which is amazing, and then take another job. And now he works for the town. So the, the interesting thing is, although that is the narrative in America, within my family circle, it wasn't. Like, it was almost like I was the one that got made fun of. Like, ah, look at her, or who does she think she is? But <laughs> so I think it calls on both. It's interesting that we're saying that, like the high-performance districts, that's really the the expectation is to go off to Ivy League. But then I, I have a good a question for you in terms of like, I hate to say underperforming, but underperforming, I don't know what the right term is, but things like that. Because I at first grew up in a community where it was made fun of to be successful or want to do well or to want to get out of the culture that, that I was in. We get those kids, because I wanted a different life. I was starting to go again, like I said, down a different path and I didn't want to do certain things. So how do we get those people to, maybe there's something an elitist about getting an education when there's not, when it actually could really free you. So how do we connect with those people? You know, uh, connecting with people, uh, well, first of all, I, I say this probably too often, changing your own mind is very hard. Changing somebody else is almost impossible. Yes, yes. You know, oh, good point. Yeah. It's, so what, what I try to do is showcase successful systems around the world. Okay. Nationally, and what the benefits are for whatever pathway a child chooses to go down. Because, you know, right now we're talking about children being globally competitive or regionally and or locally for that matter. Mm -hmm. But for me, what really changed my narrative, and I share this with anybody who's willing to listen, is when I was in Finland for, for a while, uh, really researching how they go about their business, not only is the country voted year in and year out almost the happiest country in the world when we look at student performance if that's what gets us up in the morning internationally they're usually ranked one two three four or five wow. every year according to PISA exams and it's not because they're any smarter than than uh, you know their counterparts around the world it's because what they focus on and they focus on two things they want children to be autonomous Yes. Meaning had this locus of control to understand, to try things that are new and different and not be penal. And then to have a go at a myriad of different experiences. And they have the ability to go in two different directions if they want to. They can go to university track once they get to a certain age in high school, or they can go the trades track. And each one is deemed the same as far as status. And so... There are no honors classes. There's no special education classes. 
everybody within the system is offered the same thing. And what's beautiful about it is, and I really do mean this, they focus on play, how important play yes. is. As a therapist, I agree. Yes. Yeah. So that's where the learning is. And there's a deep appreciation for not jamming 10 pounds of stuff in the five pound bag. Yeah. (laughs) If you look at their curriculum, um, it's really amazing. You can fit it K through 12 in one little book. Here, if I printed out the state standards in New York, (laughs) it would fill up my office. And that's part of the beauty of it. And what I try to do is take some, extract some of those things and bring it back and talk about it with parents wherever they may feel. And I try to find a balance between the two. You know, so one's not better than the other, but something might be more suited toward this parent's son or daughter and to allow them to test drive certain things that maybe they don't feel comfortable with. That's the way I try to go about it is, you know, through my own experience and then of other countries and how successful they are. And it's interesting. I don't know. Have you read this book? I think it's called The Finish Way. Oh, I loved it. So when you were saying, I'm like, oh, my God, that's right, because it actually helped me get through some times where I'm like, you know, I can go outside in this cold if they're jumping into cold water. And it's an interesting perspective. It helped my whole family, my daughter and husband and I shift with winter. I was like, this is actually could be it's a beautiful season. And we started going outside a lot more. And so they really if anybody um, listening hasn't finished way. Right. I think there's so there's a book. by Posse Salberg um, that, that focuses on uh, the Finnish school system. Tim Walker has another book, has a book out as well. He's an American who moved to Finland and teaches there and is, is growing his family out there. Posse really ran the educational system out there 20 years ago, but he's, he's discussed this and I'm very fortunate to be friends with him. And he really understands what it took as a country to move in that direction, but it's true. you know. Their focus isn't always on achievement. It's about yes, being, which is so important. It's about being present. It's about being present in the moment. Like when I was in Finland, I saw more 50, 60, 70 year old men and women riding their bikes at 10 o'clock at night, just riding around. I'm like, <laughs> where, where am I? Well, it's I, funny. We, we, we used to live in Long Beach and then we moved to Merrick, the suburbs. So we ride bikes everywhere. And when we first moved here, my friends were like, people are going to think that you got a Dewey. Nobody rides bikes around here. And I was like, what? So we still ride our bikes. But I agree. And I have to say, as as devastating as COVID was in many ways, for a little bit of that Finnish way, even though it sounds crazy, because people got outside more. And to your point about the curriculum, our do- we love to travel. And we were concerned. Sometimes we pull our daughter from school. And not that it matters about achievement, but she does do well in school. And that's what I, I just had this conversation with my dad today. I said, if COVID taught us anything... It taught us that, again, every experience she's having right now in her school day is important, but she's really learning a lot. And we can compress that into the short amount of time. You know, she misses a day or two here because we're spending time as a family or traveling. She's really getting the, the good experience. And I think people are taking from COVID, like her teacher is phenomenal, her classroom teacher. And he, last week, one of the best parts is it was a nice day out. And he said, you know what, let's go outside. So they went the last route and they played kickball. And the way our, my daughter talked about it all day, like I could cry thinking about it. She hasn't had one of those like moments where she really came home charged up like that since before COVID. And so I emailed her teacher and I was like, I, you know, I don't think he understood. Well, he did because that's why he did it. But so that's exactly it. I think getting back even to like the disenfranchised kids or even those experiences, those are so important. People need to know the, under, the importance of it because it really brings everyone together. And the research behind it is so massive. And I know research, you can pull out research to really benefit whatever 
aspect you're willing to focus on, but the research is incredibly clear when it comes to recess and it comes to free play. Yes. Um, what it well, that's why I connected with you. Yes, yeah. I started, you were one of the few who initially were speaking out about the importance of recess. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and how important, listen, many times the kids who need recess the most, those are the kids that it's taken away from. That's, and yes. That's the, the part that used to break my heart. I feel fortunate in Merrick. They, they don't do that, but yeah, because that's what they need to run around to get fresh air and be in a, and they learn, and you know, this, they learn all the problem solving skills. Yes. Yeah. Cause it's almost like Lord of the flies. Yeah. They're all, everybody's running around. There's nobody involved and it's, it's so true. Now, how did you go from disenfranchised student? Like, was there a pivotal moment where you, where you thought, Oh, this is not the way I want to go. Or did it just happen organically? So when, you know, I, I think there were a few small things that, that happened. Um, one is uh, tennis really probably saved me more than anything. It was the one thing I could always go to when I was, you know, was upset or depressed, whenever it was. Um, and at, at that point, I don't know why, I thought he was a professional tennis player, so I'm like, I don't even care. But but clearly, um, I, that is not the case. I was, I, I was not as good as I thought I was. But what ended up happening was I ended up going to a very small college in West Virginia called Bethany College. I changed my major five times. Wow. I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And in my junior year, it, it, it clicked in that I wanted to be believe it or not, a clinical psychologist. Oh, wow. Well, you started doing that work in the way, yeah. Well, it, it, that's the thing. There's a lot of overlap between, as you know, psychology and, and education. But I, I fell in love with psychology. And it's whenever I read something related to psychology, I never felt out of place. I, it was something I was really passionate about. And at that point, I just I, I knew I wanted to continue my studies. And then I just um, I went into a kindergarten classroom one day. A friend of mine asked me to go in there. To read to a class and I butchered the book. It's called Capital <laughs> Sale. It's the easiest book to read ever and you would have thought it was written in Latin. Um, <laughs> was it because you were nervous or? I was so nervous but when I was done and this is what this is what got me. All the kindergartners came up to me and they were hugging me. They wouldn't let me leave. Oh the, stop. The yeah yeah. And I am like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I was really fortunate. I was 24, 25 at the time. But once I once I knew it, that was it. I was I was good to go. So I, then I started teaching first grade and third grade after that. Wow! And do you share the experiences with kids? Like, do you say, you know, because kids see us where we are, or the adults where they are, and they don't understand. Like an example, I'm very outgoing and I love to speak. But as a kid, I was more reserved, which is typical and normal. Our daughter is the same way. So when I say to her, "Oh, I," you know, Mop, which is my grandma, used to come home and say that you know she's so well behaved and quiet in class, she couldn't believe it. And my daughter was like you're quiet. So, and I'm like, yeah, was it when I was a kid, I was quiet. So, but it's funny. I think it, kids need to hear that. So do you share that with your students? I, I do. I, I share that. Um, well, a, uh, I had a major stuttering problem when I was a kid. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. And, and so, you know, I was made fun of at times and, and then I tried to use humor to kind of get my way out of it. And right. Stuttering went away after, you know, after some therapy, but uh, but the humor stayed intact. So I, I, I'm an open book when, when I meet with people. And I think in some ways it allows me to connect with, you know, students who are very, very high achieving, students who are in purgatory, which is right. a lot of people, yeah. by the way. Yes. And then students who struggle in some way. I think I can relate to all three levels and I share whatever stories I can. So yeah, I can. and that's important. I think it's important for parents to see, too. You could really meet them at 
any level also for his parents. That, that to me was always the most upsetting part. And I wonder if you had this experience. I would be working with a student <clears throat> for a very long time. A lot of my students were classified as emotionally disturbed, which I don't like that term because usually, oh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're a product of what's going on. But we would work so hard. And I remember, um, I don't want to give too many details, but because then I would give the person away. But we, you know, we were, he was, we were doing a work kind of program in the school where so he would help me deliver letters and do things. So we were so proud. And we had a meeting with his parents and his dad basically called him like, all the, you know, excuse my language, like this is bitch work. And I was like, and it was almost like, and then after that, he did not, I have goosebumps. Uh, he didn't want to do it. He stopped showing up for sessions. Nope. Um, so what do you do for things like that? Because it's like we'd made so much progress and then he's right back to where where he was because of his environment. Well, that's so hard. So, I mean, you know, clearly for students, you know, and I've worked with, by the way, you're right. Those classifications are borderline horrific when it yeah. comes to the name. Well, who wants to be like, called that? Exactly. Seriously. Like it's you their know, problem. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike. I'm emotionally disturbed. I'm exactly. And, 90, and it's really because my parents treated me a certain way, but whatever. It's my fault, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's tough. Uh, labels, I can get into labels. I have a daughter who has Down syndrome. Oh, yes. I want to talk about that yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, and people have preconceived notions as to what they what that means. And the same thing when someone's labeled you know, emotionally disturbed, but to your point, it's critically important, you know, if there are ingredients that you would throw into a school cake that are really, really important, I think the number one ingredient, and it has to be a large portion of, of this school cake, is relationships. Yes. You have to have relationships, or a child, I should say, needs to have some, more than one, but fundamental trusting relationships with the adults who are serving them. Yes. If they don't have that, it, it is very hard for students who are struggling in any which way to, to make any inroads. So when things fall apart at home, they always know they have somebody at school. Oh, great uh, point. Yeah, they always have someone to fall or there's hope at least. Always. And, and that's why, you know, for to make a, the school experience well-rounded, you know, a student may flounder, let's say, academically. But if they have a connection with a coach, that's why sports are incredibly important. Yes. Music and theater and the arts, why that's so important. Those after-school activities where they make connections with other adults and with peers who will like them is is part of the vertebrae, I think, of what makes a school district and, and, and that system successful. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, too, because sometimes kids might not want to go home or they have nowhere to go. And that's really when trouble starts. So that's a that's a really good point. And I think that like you mentioned, too, and that's another reason why all the parts of school are important, because I was speaking with my daughter's dentist today and I said, it's a shame. She's actually I didn't say in front of her because I don't want to shame her, but she doesn't want to play the flute anymore. And part of the problem is the music department kind of fell apart because of COVID and then kids weren't playing and then they didn't have lessons. So I'm curious to see in a few years how this plays out. Like that could have been something, I mean, hopefully some kids stuck with it, but there's so many different important aspects of it. Um, and speaking of that, my other question, because I really want to talk to you about leadership because you're such a strong leader and I am very interested in leadership, not only professionally, but personally, like a leader of a family, a leader of a community. So were there other leaders that you looked to or did you just read or what shaped your leadership style? Yeah, that's, it's, that's such a great question. Um, it's, you know, the leaders, most of them, I would say very large percentage. I learned what not to do. I feel like really dirty saying that. Yes, I understand though. Yeah. You know, but, but it's really true. Um, because, you know, first and foremost, and I know Simon Sinek talks about this too, you know, you you want to serve others, right? You want to bring out the best of others and, and 
the best way to do that is to support them in every which way to encourage risk taking to make sure and what you know what i tell my team here like i don't want a bunch of bobbleheads i want yes to say mike like don't do that like what do you right do? yes you need someone to call you out yeah definitely now you know do well i agree with them all the time no but they need to at least feel comfortable saying that and i need to do the same but i learned really largely from serving under people where I say to myself, I would never, ever do that. Yes. If I did it, I'd try not to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, of course, I read. I mean, I read all the time. I love John Maxwell. I think his laws are, are really easy to understand and to implement in, in any capacity. But my, you know, from an educational standpoint, there's one person, you know, I used to call it the Holy Trinity, but I'll just say it's it's him at this point. It's Sir Ken Robinson, his philosophy. Yes, I forgot about him. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I work pretty closely with his daughter now, Kate. Um, we have a podcast coming up. Oh, um, great. We'll have to hear all about that. I, yeah, definitely. What I found for me, even though it was, um, I don't want to say it was a failure, but it was a good experience for me because, and I think of it into whenever I'm leading in other situations, I had made every team when I was a kid and I always did well and I was a captain. And then I tried out for basketball. I'm like, I'm going to, this, this is going to be another sport. I'll be fine. And then I came out, I, I didn't make the team. And I remember my dad was waiting in front of the building. And I'm like, he's going to be so mad. He's going to call, which is funny because nobody called the school back then. And my parents definitely wouldn't have called the school. Like they, they didn't even know who my teachers were, but they, and then I thought he'd be upset with them. Like, you know, and then he said, good, I'm glad, I'm glad you failed. And then I was like, what? And then he said, you need to learn how to fail. And so I think that's a huge lesson too. Like just hearing your story, when you said you changed majors and stuff like that, people might've looked like a failure, but and it's a hard thing to think of as a mom because sometimes, you know, I'm ta- I, I spew all this to everybody else and then she'll come to me and be like, a 94? But it's like, that's, you know, so it's interesting as a leader, as a family leader and you're a leader of the family, like we all have our own roles, how we have to remember those things too, like the humor, but also that failure is okay, you know, even for ourselves. And that's one thing when I, hopefully they won't be listening, my prior leaders, um, my prior supervisors and stuff, I wish that they had admitted things when they were wrong. And I think that's a huge part of leadership is just admitting when you're wrong. Some people just don't have enough self-esteem to do that. It's really, I find it remarkable, but people respect you more when you own. When you say it's okay to fail. Yeah. So, So it's interesting. So you had talked about Simon Sinek. I know off camera, we talked about how we like his writings, but he always talks about the importance of teamwork and a culture of trust and the importance of people. And I see just from following you on Facebook and Instagram, that's really important. But one thing I love, I don't know if you're still doing it. And for those of you, where could people follow you first? And then I'll say on social media, on Instagram, or what are your handles? Yeah, yeah. So I, gosh, I think it's uh, Michael Hines 7 for Instagram. Okay. And and then Mike Hines 5 for, for Twitter. Okay. Um, it's Abigail and Sadie. And I love when you do the Don't Tell Mom with the uh, with the Starbucks. So what I do is I sneak the kids out <laughs> early in the morning, usually on the weekends, because uh, I can't keep them home from school during the week. And we we go to Starbucks and they make sure they eat all the things they can't eat when mom's there. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> so we end up, you know, and I and I always say, I say, girls, you cannot tell mom. <laughs> But then he publicizes it everywhere. Yeah. I do. And then the first thing Sadie does when when she gets home is she tells mom. Yes. It's so funny. I love it. It's the same thing with our daughter. And sometimes too, I saw um, even the other day, there was a man and I'm like, oh, these poor guys. There was a man with his phone and he was 
FaceTiming his wife to show there was no avocados left. And I was like, what have we done? <laughs> so it's like the same, it's the same thing. My daughter goes on Saturdays and Sundays with my husband at McDonald's. So it's a sweet, it's That's a sweet awesome. thing. Yeah. And then how did, um, and speaking of your daughter, Sadie, she has Down syndrome. Is it an issue for Abigail? Is it something you talk about? Or you could say to Sadie, this is how Abigail is. So like for both of them, is it an issue? Uh, no, it's it's definitely not an issue. They, you know, Abigail being six, who's going on probably 30, she recognizes Sadie for the superpowers, you know, that she has. And she knows at times she has to be probably a little more patient. Uh, she has to probably share more in some ways when... You know, when someone, when Sadie gets something or whatever, first of all, they have their own language that they speak with each other. Yes. <laughs> it's, really, it's really, really amazing. Um, That's but, funny because my sisters and I do too. My, we're in our 40s. Yeah. We still, yeah. <laughs> Which is great. And hopefully you continue to speak that language because. I think they will. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's such a bond. But, you know, they, they embrace their similarities. They embrace their differences. And I, I can tell you right now, um, one of Sadie's biggest advocates is, is her sister. That's what I was expecting. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Is she still in elementary school? Yeah, she is. So Sadie just turned nine. Uh, she's in third grade and, and Abby's in, uh, in first grade. So, so do they see yeah. each other passing in the hallways? Or Because I remember I used to yeah. see my sisters in the yeah. hallway. And as close as we were, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I didn't know how to look at them. And then we'd get out of the school and everything was normal. But yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's um, their school experience, I have to say, uh, and they go to school and say, well, they, they have a wonderful building, great principal, incredible teachers. Um, and they, they've worked with, with my kids very, very well. My, my wife was an assistant superintendent for. Oh, I didn't know this. Where does she work? Yeah, she, she's in Sachem. So, you know, if, if Aaron and I go into the building, like everybody runs. Scatters? Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we used to do that like, at CSE uh, meetings. We'd be like either the things that were scary was if they were an administrator a teacher or a lawyer, but the administrator was like, even above the lawyer, they'd be like, Oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah. So we didn't sit down just... and, no, but, but they, they work very well with us and we're very fortunate, but we also understand too. And I'm hoping most people do this. If, if they are in the place of influence in some way, at least in the education space is you don't abuse that power or responsibility either. Yes. So you need to, you need to find a, a balance with that too, which I know Aaron and I do, I think relatively well. Yeah. And how do you juggle that? Both of you being administrators and then a family. And then I know you're training too for running. So how do you yeah. guys juggle all that? <laughs> I, I, I can tell you, I mean, there are two phases of, of the week, right? You get to Friday night and you're just exhausted. Right? Yes. You know, long <laughs> and then you get to Sunday night and, and you're exhausted from the week yes. <laughs> yeah. with the kids, right? So, you know, you just embrace the fact that you're going to be tired and right? try to to, you know, um, segment uh, your, your day around certain things. I'm very, uh, in the morning, I have a real structure in, in place where I, you know, I have these things that I follow. Yeah, same. Routine. I have, I'm very interested in habits too. Same thing. I have a routine that is un not negotiable. So I get that. Yeah. And that's, so that's what served me well. So when it's time to, you know, be dad or try to be a husband in some capacity, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm present, but from like 3.34 in the morning until at least 6.30 is, is my time where I do the things I need to do to be the best version of myself. Right. So that's like the time that is just like non-negotiable. You have to honor and then, yeah. And then when, so when you go home. You're always on the clock. But yeah. I have to say my, my board has been incredible knowing where those boundaries are. Unless Good. it's like really an emergency. 
you know, um, most things can wait until the following day. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're answering texts or emails when, when you're home. But I, I try to create that balance with my administrators too. Like COVID has knocked everybody out. Yes. Um, I was just having, it's funny. I, I had someone stop by before and I said, that's the issue now. My husband and I are both working at home now. And in the past there was an ending time and now there's no ending time. Even lunch, he was yeah. like, I'm going to work at the desk. I was like, no, we made a, we made a rule. We were going to take a break for lunch. So yeah. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, typically, at least for school administrators, you know, they had the weekend. And so from, what was it, March when this whole thing began to now two years later, I mean, for the most part, you know, there were breaks for principals, for directors. There were, there were no breaks. Everything was happening at lightning speed. So was June tired in September? And so I try to honor that and not burden them too much over the weekends or late at night unless... You know. That's actually really nice. I've been with some administrators and if they're listening, I'm sorry, but where they expected us to, it, it was hard. They expected every meeting, every after school event, every night event. It was really, it was almost, it felt like hazing. It really felt like hazing. And the funny thing is that's why I stopped my short-lived career in administration. I had an amazing mentor who, I don't know if you know, Rich Miller. I think he might be at Locust Valley now. He was the director of PPS. I love him. I was pregnant. I remember exactly where I was. I was pregnant. I was on a beach and I called him and said, hey, I got this offer at this district. And, you know, I did a short stint of administration, but we worked with the same people. And he said, it's it's going to kill your soul. I know you don't do it. And I was like, what? But he was right just for that particular place. But so it's interesting. It's nice to hear like this new, fresh faces of administration, like people like you and even like in my daughter's school where people are really starting to realize and honor that balance because it'll burn people out. And in the end, it's really the kids who suffer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If, if you don't take care of the people you're serving and allow them times to replenish themselves, then you're not going to get the best version of who they are and what they have to offer. Exactly. Yeah. And now what is one of your favorite books? And then aside from working, what are one of the ways you like to spend your time? So um, I, I do love history. So if I'm not reading anything, you know, related to school, I like to read biographies. Um, oh, interesting. Sometimes re revisit them often. So right now I'm revisiting Team of Rivals about Abraham Lincoln and when he was first. Kearns is the last name of the author. She served under Lyndon Johnson, I believe. Wow. Uh, How long ago was written? Yeah, she, she's a powerhouse. She's amazing. She's a historian. But this book is about, you know, Lincoln ended up being, beating, you know, everybody clearly. And then he ended up bringing them into his cabinet and then working with them. Wow. So it, it all ties in. Yeah. It really does. So I, I just, I, I find him and, and that story incredibly it's fascinating. It's called The Team of Rivals? Yes, Team of okay. Rivals. Um, okay. And then, you know, the books that I'm reading right now or anything by Rich Roll, who's like this 50-year-old ultra-endurance athlete. I've never heard you of know, him. I follow Dave Croggins, um, but I've never heard. Wait, I think I just recently heard of Rich Roll. He's got a small following right now, right? I think. He's, he's I, I, David Goggins, I love too, by the yes, way. Yes, me too. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Rich Roll, I think, has a larger following than him, believe it or not. Oh, I'm thinking of the wrong person. Yeah, I'm looking yeah, at you, You'll like, he has, a, he has a podcast out, and it's usually, it's very eclectic. Oh, I, I, turns out I am following him. I didn't even realize. There you go. All right. It, it, it's good stuff. And he's always um, positive and it has really lengthy podcasts. So he takes a deep dive into whomever he's uh, speaking with. Right. Well, I'll have to um, listen to him because I like yeah, these yeah, like Sometimes him. I don't want to like, I don't want to beat myself up while I'm working out. I, don't yeah, know. I know. 
No offense, Steve. <laughs> no, I agree. And then uh, right now I'm also rereading Sir Ken Robinson only because his birthday is coming up in March. And so his book, You, Your Child, uh, and School, cool. is okay. it's, it's one of his last books uh, that he wrote. Um, so I, I love just rereading things because many times um, I glean something that I just to totally either forgot about or just learning in a, in a, in a deeper sense. So. Yeah, that's what I do. You highlight books less because I highlight books and later I regret it. I highlight my books and then I'm like, did I should have highlighted that? And I sort of regret it, but it's only because I want to go back and see what I felt was calling me at the time. But do you highlight your books? I, I used to. What I do, I mean, a lot of my books, they look ridiculous. If a page or something within the page resonates with me, I. Oh, yes, I do that too. And then yeah. they were like an accordion. Exactly. Yeah. That's yes, exactly what it looks there. like. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So that's what I typically do, unless it's an electronic book. So if I'm reading a Kindle and you have the ability to highlight some of the- Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I can't get into the Kindle yet. I'm trying. Yeah. My mother-in-law bought me one and I'm trying. Yeah. So that has the ability to do it. But right now, yeah, I just try to read and, and get as much as I can out of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Well, in that little time. So yeah. And then how do you, last question, and I want to hear where, how do you like to spend your time? Do you like travel? Do you guys just chill? In the summer, we try to make our backyard like into an oasis, and because yes. we're so young, we like to invite a lot of kids over and parents over, so they have like a, a nice safe space where they can play and yeah, and and just be. But if, if we're not doing that, then we're going out east. We're going to Greenport uh, next week. Oh, nice! Yeah, so we we like just going out there and and really just becoming reacquainted. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, even Sayville. We went out to, when you mentioned Sayville. We went out to Sayville last spring and summer, and there's always something new. There's a little shop. We like to walk around the town. We've yeah. taken the ferry to uh, the ferry, uh, yeah, the, the place in Fire Island that nobody ever. I forgot Barry the name. Beach. There, there, there's there's quite a few different beaches. Yeah, there's so many great places. So yeah, yeah. So we, we we usually do that, but you know, and if I'm not doing that, then I'm trying to run as far as I can. Yeah. Um. Are you running? Are you training for a specific race? Yeah, I have, two, I have two right now. Well, one is coming up in two weeks. Uh oh, um, <laughs> I'm just getting countdown. Which one is that? So this is a 50k race, um, oh and it's at uh, Hexer State Park. It's um, it's the 50k championships, and and I'll where does it end? Like way. in Florida, or how? <laughs> yeah. No, no. So it, it's a loop that you run around. Oh jeez. Oh my god. Yeah. No, you get me there's another one I'm training for in April, um, and you're running from, I believe, um, Miller Place, and then you end up in Hampton Bays or Southampton. Oh, wow. Oh, that'll be a nice course. That's a nice course for sure. Yeah, Hexer State Park will be nice too. But like, wait a minute. Are they, do they have counters, or how do you keep track? They do. There's a loop, and then they clock how long the loop is. Okay. You have to, you have to average a certain speed over time uh, in order to, you know, to make it to the end so okay. uh, and that's right one that. yeah and i'm glad um with uh plant but that you're plant-based because a lot of people don't agree so i was just had a guest on a few weeks ago and he's a bodybuilder and he just said i want to go plant-based and i said you can absolutely go plant-based i never jam it down anybody's throat but yeah, people are yeah. surprised so see for people that are listening you can run these long endurance races and still get fuel and protein from oh gosh. yeah so oh, someone totally. needs specific people that you follow on Instagram or podcasts or yeah so uh Rich Roll again yes uh, see that yeah shout out to Rich so he, yeah he, he's plant-based and he's been doing it for for a very very long time I want to say over 15 18 years and he's 
I mean, he's competed at the most elite levels endurance-wise. And um, I think what connects with me is, you know, like you, he's not ramming it or jamming it down people. Yes. He's just talking about the benefits and how it benefited him compared to whatever he was doing before. My journey started many, many years ago. And I said, I'm going to test driving for a month. Then I went to two months. And then I went to, you know, gosh, over a decade now. Oh, wow. I didn't realize. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you feel better. Now, again, we're not ramming down anyone's throat, but you feel better. Just kidding. When you're, but you really do. It really, I know for myself, I've been this way my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. You eat clean and you're eating whole, you know, whole food. And, um, you know, it's, you know what the ingredients are because it's on process. Right. All, the, all that good stuff. So, you know, am I annoying when I go out with my friends? Yeah, probably. I'm sure because I am you know. too. Or is yeah. it annoying when someone just offers you a plate of vegetables when you go to their house? Or you can tell they're nervous that you're coming over. It's like, don't worry. So I usually offer to bring a dish so they don't have to worry. <laughs> I do the same thing. It's like quinoa. I was like, you know, like I, I have no idea what that is. Exactly. Quinoa, like, people have said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, I do that. And then I usually, sometimes I'll even eat before we go out. <laughs> it's just easier. Yeah, I do the same thing. I do the same exactly. Yeah, that's why nobody has to worry. Everybody's concerned about my protein, but we're all good. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And um, then where can, um, where can people find you? I know we mentioned already your social media, but any, any upcoming projects? I know you mentioned the podcast. Is it, is it titled yet? And are you ready to share about it? Yeah. So it's called 14,000 hours. Oh, wow. Uh, so 14,000 hours is how long on average a child's in school from kindergarten to when they graduate. Wow. And so what Kate Robinson and I are exploring is we're going to talk to thought leaders, but also talk to kids. Talk to oh, great. oh, I love that idea. And, and really focus on what they think the purpose of school should be and what they would like to see in school. And then hopefully Kate and I can figure out what we can do to, to make that happen. I love that idea because when Dr. Shfali Sabari, she talks about conscious parenting, and this will be like sort of the wrap up because I know you have a busy schedule, so I appreciate this, but she talks about conscious parenting. And I always patted myself on the back, which you shouldn't do as a parent, but I thought I was pretty aware of what I should be doing. And when my daughter would get nervous about things, I would try one approach. And then, so it goes to your point about asking kids. Then I finally said to her, if you were the mom, what would you say to me? And then when the stuff she said was so simple. And I was like, oh my God, like she, she'd want me to sit. I, I just want you to listen. And I just, I don't want you to tell me don't be upset. Like things that I didn't even realize I was doing. So I think, well, I know this podcast is going to change people's behavior because just hearing from kids, like they, it seems so simple, but they can really remind us what's important. They, they definitely do. I think they can remind us to slow down when yes. we're going too fast and, um, you know, to be present in the moment. Which yes. And find the humor, fun. like you mentioned. Yeah. Be present. doesn't have to be so serious. <laughs> Nope. And the last thing I, I, I'd like to plug is the movie Chasing Childhood, which I think is, is, is an important documentary. Um, it's been making its rounds in all the film festivals, really doing very well. And basically it's about, you know, what's happened to childhood and how we over bubble wrap our kids and we're scared for them in every which way. And yes. it stunts and it blunts many things developmentally, emotionally, and there are simple things we can revisit. Like when we grew up in the 70s and the 80s, I, we wouldn't even think of kids doing now. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying like, you know, we shouldn't have kids drive around with no seatbelts on. I'm just talking about 
you know, have the kids ride their bikes past the block or two. Yes, let them, yes. So go to the stump and play stump tag. At night. Oh my God, the things we yeah, exactly go sledding yeah. in the stump. Yeah, do they even have stumps anymore? Sure. Don't hang out in the stump. They, they, they do. They're just all overgrown now. Yeah. No kids go in them anymore. Well, it depends on where you live to in America. When I mentioned the stump, they're all like, what? But, yeah. <laughs> but we used to hang out in the stump. And it's interesting that you say that because there's another balance too, where and that's why I want people to check out the the show, like even just having children walk home from school, we live like just a short, everybody's afraid, understandably, but now where could people find uh, Chasing Childhood? Where could they watch it? So so they could, Chasing Childhood documentary, I'll bring it to the website. Okay. And you will you can actually rent it through the website. Oh, neat. Okay, good. I'm going to yeah. make sure to check that out. I'm sorry I didn't yeah. before no, this. It's, it's definitely worth it. Um, you know, it's it's been showing in a couple of different school districts on Long Island right now or PTAs if they want to show it, um, you know, to their respective parents. But it's making its way now, not only nationally, but internationally, which I'm, I'm really proud of. But Dr. Peter Gray is on it. Uh, Julie Lifka-Hames, the former dean of students at Stanford, is on it. Lenore Skenazy, uh, who is just an amazing person, is on it. And I, I think it's short enough where you're not going to fall asleep, but it's it's just right as far as the content, and I think it will resonate with parents and educators. And for all ages, because I'm thinking I'm very, I'm very involved in the PTA in my district, so for elementary level as well? Absolutely. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, because I know you have your family, you have your running, you have your clean eating to do, and your work, so I appreciate your time here so much, and and I look forward to chatting with you again. And again, everybody, make sure to check out uh, 14,000 Hours. When does that launch? Uh, it's going to launch, it's gonna launch uh, mid-March, actually. Uh, oh, perfect. Okay. It'll be on Apple. And be, yeah, it's going to be in a lot of different places, but Apple for sure. Okay, perfect. And then um, also check out Chasing Childhood. And um, Dr. Hines, again, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. And make sure you get some rest tonight, please. <laughs> thank you. I will try. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. Have a good day. You too. Bye. 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 I'm Jessica Mack, and you've been listening to What's Cooking with Jessica Mack, the podcast. Let's connect. Reach out to me and message me through Instagram at Dr. Jessica Mack, or visit my website, drjessicamack.com, and let me know what you thought of today's episode. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for tuning in.